We are back with Kevin and Nathan Biller as they take us deep into the intricate world of powder formulation. Ever wonder about the process of making powder? They unravel the mystery behind extrusion. Is it just a matter of tossing ingredients into a blender and hitting blend? Spoiler alert, it's far more nuanced. We delve into the fascinating interplay of chemical additives, pigments, and polyester resins, all tailored to the desired performance your powder supplier aims for. It's a delicate dance and the billers shed light on these intricacies that make powder production as challenging as a custom coater strives for that flawless finish. Just like no two custom coaters are identical, the powder landscape is equally diverse. Get ready to revolutionize your powder coater game! So how, so the main component, let's get into main components. It's, it's like this resin kind of stuff that binds to the polyester. Uh, and then you add in a pigment. This is the stuff I say to people, right? I don't know. And then they, maybe there's an additive in there for sheen or texture. Is that what an additive is? I don't know. Talk about that. <laughs> you want to give an overview? Powder coatings typically have about anywhere from six to maybe 12 or 13 ingredients. So there's going to be a resin curing agent or co-reactant. And then you're going to have eh, a couple additives that's pretty much in almost every powder coating. But you're you're going to have some additives in. So the resin and curing agent behave themselves and so the stuff melts and flows well. Um, so you got that. Um, you're gonna maybe want color if it's a clear coat. No, but if color is involved, it could be, you know, an easy one is black for most of them. A little bit of, you know, black pigment. But if you're making a bright yellow or an orange or a red, it's a little trickier, but typically you're going to have three or four pigments to get that right color, to get that you know, brown where it's the right brownness, the right darkness, the right um, whatever. So you've got the resin system, you got some additives for the resin system or, or binder system. You've got your colorant pigments, if you need them, you probably are going to put a filler in just because it gives you better economics and it may give you some performance too. It might give you a lower gloss if you want it or not. It might give you better barrier properties if it's the right kind of filler. Um, then you would call it a functional filler or mineral pigment or something. But, you know, those are the main components. If you want it textured, you may put something that gives you texture, a texturizing agent. If you wanted to do something else, like if you want a low temperature cure, you may put an additive like a catalyst in so that it cures at a lower temperature. Um, if you want an antimicrobial, you put in a magical additive for, for microbial behavior. If it's a clear coat that needs to last 10 years, 
you may put a UV absorber, maybe a light stabilizer to keep it from chalking, you know, mm -hmm. for you know, 10 or more years. Um, if it has a tendency to yellow, you might put an antioxidant in it, which kind of, you know, if the color is critical and if it's a light color, like a white or a, a right. pastel, you, you may want to put in an antioxidant um, if you need it. If you want it to be slippery, say it, things have to slide for some reason. It's, a, it's something part of a conveyor system, part of a shelving that needs, you know, slippery sliding, you know, so things don't drag on the surface. You put in a, a slip agent. Um, if you want a lower gloss, depends what kind of gloss. It could be a little bit lower, you know, like a mid-range or something. Or it could be a low gloss or a matte. You start throwing things in to get those effects. Um, chemical resistance. You a lot of times for things like chemical resistance. Number one, you don't put anything bad in it. Same thing for UV resistance. That argument about like the red pigment. You got a perfectly good binder or resin system, and then you put in a, a cheap low cost pigment. And the pigment falls apart, whereas you know the resin system's still good, but you know the aesthetics go down the down the tube. So, um, if you want metallic, that's another thing. You put some sparkle in, or you put some sheen in. Right. Um, if you want like a like a bronze or a antique look, which you're probably familiar with it. You put in uh, maybe a pearlescent pigment. Um, so, like, if you uh, if you're trying to make orange, mm -hmm. do you just grab it's it's a pigment that already is orange, or would you be combining yellow and red to make the orange? I that's I that's just a question. I'm like, as you're describing it, I'm imagining a big giant grinder or. I'll, yeah, I can, I, I can talk about um, how this stuff's actually made because I think that'll enlighten people a little bit why it's not so easy to just get a color custom made. Um, it, it, there, there's time and there's processes that go into it that um, the reason that that's so tricky to say, oh, I want a five pounds, um, you know, a five pounds of powder that matches my shoes and I want to pay this much for it. It's like, it's really hard to, to find that middle ground where like we can charge enough for it and they will pay for it. But anyhow, I don't have, I don't have any visual aids queued up. I might, well, that's okay. Cause there was a, somebody had a really good one at the powder coating week that I found fascinating because somebody was talking about how they extrude powder and stuff. And I thought, wow, that's a great graphic. But basically, it's just kind of a mixer system, right? That you combine all these component component components, and you have to mix it really good because it has to be consistent, right? Well, you you blend it dry, and then you feed that dry blend into a melt mix extruder. Yeah. So okay. all of the all of the components that go into it, we're talking about the resins, the additives, the pigments, the fillers. All of those, um, 
almost exclusively are going to be solid at room temperature. So we're talking about pellets. We're talking about dust. We're talking about, you know, um, flakes of resin, stuff like that. So we get all these dry components. You know, we're, we're not making a wet paint and drying it out, for instance. Right, so okay. we take all these, these dry components and then the first step after weighing it up according to your formula is to blend those together just in a, we call it the pre-mixing stage. That part is just to make sure that that stuff is even all the way throughout. Because if you're making a really big batch, for instance, you might have, you might do 20 of those batches and run them back to back, but you just want to make sure that everything going into there is consistent and then everything is mixed well enough that the next stage when you feed it in the extruder that you have like a homogeneous mixture that's always going to be coming out through um, for the whole batch. The extruder then is the actual, that's the paint making step. That's our, our compounder. And that's where, yeah, it would be useful if I like pulled up a video or something now, but all those dry things that go in, they get fed into the extruder. The extruder has, um, you know, heated barrels and then there's screws rotating on the inside. And on those screws, there's some sort of a kneading element. Mm -hmm. So the purpose of the extruder is one to melt and mix the polymer stuff, the binder, the polyester, the everything else that comes with that. So those parts actually, you know, they melt because we're doing, we're extruding around say hundred C like the two, two ten F kind of neighborhood. So you're taking those components, you're melting them and then just mixing them together with the kneading. But there's also all those little particles, the, the pigment, the fillers, all those sort of things that energy from the screws kneading into each other is also breaking up those particles and spreading them out evenly throughout the, the mixture. So that's a really short process. It's done, you know, it's done quickly, but with a lot of intensity because powder coatings, if you heat them up for too long, they start to cure, they start to harden. And so you can't, you know, you like, I, I don't actually like have hands-on experience with thermoplastics, but like, you know, for injection molding or um, thermoplastics that sort of stuff, they also use an extruder, but that stuff they can, they can have in there and melt and knead it for as long as they need to, because there's no chemical reaction going on. Um, with our thermoset powders, like, yeah, you, you have to do the work in a short amount of time and then dump it out and cool it. And then at that point, your, your formula is fixed. You can't take that and really change it. You can't adjust the color to it at, at that point. All you can do is you grind it into a powder that's the right size to spray it. And then, you know, you're good to go. There's different ways of, of, grinding into a powder, but they're basically just different sizes of hammers <laughs> hitting, hitting particles um, 
until you get that real nice fine powder that which we you know have a lot of control over that particle size. The other thing that just mentioned, like the, the extrusion process is continuous. As long as you're feeding it, you're making your your product, your powder. You know, it's a very short dwell time in that in that barrel. Uh, might be 15, 20, 30 seconds at the most. But you can run that thing for days, for shifts. So as long as you're mixing stuff and putting it in, mm-hmm. you're you're making product. Yeah, so if I was trying to match the orange like you're saying, like I would have a starting point formula. I would have, I would decide what chemistry it would, I wanted it to be. Um, and then... If I'd made a orange similar to that in the past, I'd have a starting point. I'd say, oh, these pigments at these ratios, um, I think are going to get me pretty close. But I have to go through that whole process every single time I want to check the color. So I have to weigh up a sample. I have to mix it. I have to extrude it, grind it, sieve it, spray it, bake it, and then I can read the color. And then, you know, using, it's just... um, we have color instruments. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure your um, you know, listeners are familiar with those. Um, but yeah, you read the color and then it'll say, oh, this is a little bit too dark. This is a little bit too yellow. And so I go back to the, to the drawing board, go back to the formula and I say, okay, I tweak the ratio of those pigments. Then I have to take it all, weigh it up again, pre-mix it, extrude it, grind it, sieve it spray it and then check the color again. So you can see where if if it's a difficult color and I have to do that um, a dozen times, then it's like day's work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, so two takeaways that I'm getting now from you guys is in a sense, powder formulating is similar in the sense that when you're a powder coater, you get one shot at something, right? You know, you can't, it's not like painting where if you missed a spot, you just hit it right there and do it, you know, like you have to do, it's like you get a one shot thing. So that's interesting because, um, you know, we have to deal with that here in powder coating, but you guys have to deal with it there as a formulator. You get one shot to make this orange. If it's wrong, then you got to start all over again. And Maybe that's why the made-to-order kind of stuff has been kind of slow to coming to the industry too, you know, because really it could take you all day to get that right, perfect orange, you know. Or, you know, if you if you took a yellow and a red and they were powder and you mix them together, you're going to get a speckle. You're not going to get an orange. Right? Yeah, you're not going to get right. Yeah, yeah. Not like liquid um, paint where you could just stir it. Yeah, liquid paint. I think they right. They yeah. a big batch. They get it close, and then they're like, "Okay, we can add a little bit more carbon black. We can add a little. We can adjust the viscosity. We can put some more right. um, solvent in it to thin it down." But like, you know, they're they're driving it into a, a box to match it. Ours, it's like we have to have it right at the beginning, or else the end product's not going to be what we want. It's it's a little more challenging. Yeah, in the end, it's kind of interesting. I guess the funny part of it at the end is as a powder coater job shop, everything around us, all the powder that falls on the floor gets swept up at the end of the day's work. It's always gray, right? (laughs) So, you know, you can, you can shoot red, orange, yellow, black, 
uh, green. And then the, and when you mix it all up and you have it all in the uh, trap, you know, sweeping up the floor, wherever it ends up, it's always gray. It, you just never mm -hmm. know. Uh, how it always ends up being gray, no matter what color it starts off with to be. But um, let's talk about something that I kind of learned recently. Um, it's about bonded and non-bonded, the differences or not the difference, but like what what's the process? What makes a bonded metal or metallic bonded? Um, and then what are the outcomes if you use something that's not? Um, you want to take or you want I'll, me to I'll take I'll, basically what happens is if you want a metallic and the metallic can be sparkly and the sparkle can be dependent, it can be a big sparkle, small sparkle, um, pearlescent even, um, or you want a patina or a sheen, you know, whatever. But if you say, hey, I want to do this. So Nathan's discussion about, oh, we, we have all the ingredients, we mix them, mm -hmm. pre-mix them. If you do that, if you put your metallics into your mix and then run it through the extruder, like Nathan said, it's, it's aggressive, it's intensive, they're sheer. And what it does is it takes the aluminum flake and it just beats the crap out of it. So then it comes out grayish, kind of, mm -hmm. sort of a little bit of metallic, but it's not sparkly anymore. It, it looks bad. So, you know, powder coating technology person, well, we can't do that. So we're just going to take, we'll, we'll make a, a light gray powder or dark gray, and we'll put in the, the metallic flake after it's been made, after it's into a powder. It could be in a box already. So we'll take it out of the box and we'll mix it with this aluminum flake or any other metal, but typically it's going to be aluminum. That seems like a pretty good idea. But as you know, the spray process, there's a few things. You start with taking this material out of the container, the box or the drum, or it could be actually, you know, a big, big um, skid sized uh, carboy or box or whatever. Um, you, you take it out and then you put it into a fluidizing Bed, mm -hmm. you know, fluidized hopper. Well, all that movement tends to make the aluminum go that way and the powder to go a different way. That you can get segregation is very, very common. So when you're spraying, it may look good to begin with, but the ratio of metallic to the powder may change, and it'll even get worse if you have a reclaim system. Right. So say say all you did were, were metallics and it was two different metallics and you just sprayed like for a week one and then a you know week and you were collecting the overspray and reusing it. Well the stuff that didn't make make it to the part is going to be a different ratio of metallic to the powder. That may work if you just do a spray to waste. You say we don't recycle, where this is a one-time job, it doesn't have to be the same day in and day out. It's for one job. So the the powder coating people said, well, how the heck are we going to get this so it's consistent? And somebody came up with this idea, and it's kind of crazy when you think about it, but take a finished powder, take a powder, you know, like a base we would call it, but, you know, kind of the color. It could be usually it's a shade of gray or dark or black. 
take that and then mix it in a mixer it, to the point where it's getting warm and the particles are actually softening a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then you stop, you open up the container, you throw in your aluminum pigment, you close it, and then you turn it back on. And what happens is those metallic flakes stick to the powder particles. Okay. kind of, you're on a knife's edge, but the end product basically is you've got a particle of powder and it's got flakes on it and they're stuck. But the, the, the thing is, it's, it's a really, it's a bit of art and science because if you push it too far and it gets too warm, it's a brick. Right. <laughs> the other thing that scares the, the daylights out of people, well, if you want to make a bomb, you could use aluminum flake and oxygen and energy. You could blow up your plant if you ignite <laughs> Do it. Aluminum right. flake. So you have to have special grades of aluminum flake and you have to have a very um, a very controlled process. So it doesn't get too hot. And what some people do is they'll put nitrogen in the mixer so there's no oxygen that could accelerate. Right. You know, you get a spark in there and kablammy. Um, so bonded powder metallics are Specially made, there's that secondary process after you made the first powder, the base, and then you blend in your your metallics, and then you've got something that's got particles that are, you know, comprised of a base particle and then metallic flakes. Well, and for the yeah, and they they cost more too, right? Oh, sorry, Nathan, go. It, and- and yes, because there's just that much more steps to the process. Um, but what you end up with is particles that all look pretty similar to each other. You know, it's all powder plus metallic. And so that's why you can you can reclaim it and reuse it. But also if you're just spraying stuff that's been blended, like low intensity, just combined, you know, shaken together in a bag, um, you're you know, your metallic, a lot of it's going to want to get pulled into the air. Uh, the Stick to your gun tip. Exhaust, it'll stick to the gun tip. And then I'm sure you've seen that before where you're spraying a metallic and it, it sticks, it sticks, it sticks, and then it goes and then it explodes. And so you end up with, yeah, with goobers in your, in your surface. So um, bonding kind of gets rid of all that. But yeah, because it's additional steps and they're specialized equipment and all that sort of stuff that does it does add to the cost of the coating you know we had a funny story uh with uh mick fleetwood from fleetwood mac lives here on maui and i know i've shared this story before but i'm going to share it again because it's so it is related to metallics so (laughs) for some reason we out of the blue we get this uh lighting guy who ordered some nice uh, outdoor lights uh, for mixed garden so he can walk in the garden on Maui and feel rem- reminisce about all his days at Fleetwood Mac. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the days he remembers. <laughs> um, for, for, I'm not sure why. Uh, I never found out, but Mick chose these from a manufacturer in Idaho, lighting manufacturer in Idaho, who does their own in-house powder coating. 
And I'm not sure why they came unfinished, but for whatever reason, they did. And at first, it was like, oh, just shoot any old in-stock metallic you have. He'll be fine with it. Well, no, he was not fine with that. He didn't mm. like the color. I'm not sure what happened. It's just one of those never-ending, snowball-y kind of miscommunication on every level, uh, you know, and then a fussy client like Mick Fleetwood. Um, so he goes, no, I want the powder look of the company that I saw the sample with in Idaho. So Ross calls up the company now and says, what powder do you use? And they're like, oh, uh, you know, this, this is I'm like, oh, well, we have an account with them. We'll just order it. So it was just like an off the show, you know, like something out of a catalog. So we go ahead, order it. We reshoot them. This is the second redo now of 30, 35 of these lights. And we deliver it. And all of a sudden we get back, you know, we get paid, you know, the guys, the lighting guys all excited. And then a couple of days later, oh, Mick doesn't like the colors. They're too, it's not the right one. And we're like, no, this is the right one. We called the company and asked them specifically what the color was. Well, it's not the what he's wanting. And we're like, what are you talking about? This is what they did. This has got to be what's going on here. Well, we were just kind of thinking back and forth, like, how is it not the right color? That doesn't make sense. Then Ross got a hunch and he called the company again. And he goes, by any chance, do you use a hopper or a box feed? He goes, oh, we use a box feed. Well, all that heavier particles from the metallic part would shake down to the bottom. And what we found out was, and because we shoot with a hopper here, um, and what he found out was it was the color without the metallic part taken, it was the mm -hmm. metallic shaking out to the bottom. And the color was the color that he liked. And now we're in this predicament where it's like, we can't achieve what he wants because of the way that the powder coater lighting company does it. I, I it, was, you know, it was an impossible, it was impossible it was like situation. A, applied poorly in the first place. <laughs> it was applied poorly in the first place. Exactly. So like it was a, a really kind of crazy dilemma. Um, the funny story is, is in the end, in order to convince Mick of what he wanted, you know, again, here's the part where we have to direct people to what they want sometimes is, uh, and this guy was, this lighting guy that was here locally that had the job was pulling his hair out, you know, because now he's having to pay us two, three times over because we have to now strip everything and do it all over again. Yeah. And it's all, it's not his fault directly, but like, yeah, it was just a big miscommunication snowball thing. Anyways, um, so we're we're explaining to him the situation that we're in. We're, we can't we can't fix this. You know, we can't re, we can't create this. So I said, look, we just did a job for Oprah Winfrey. Here is the color that we chose that that Oprah's designer chose for, and it was a cardinal or something like that, right? A really nice oil rub bronze. Not a lot of metallic flake in it at all, but just a really nice bronze and seemed to be pretty close to what he wanted. I said, you, and I put a little post-it in there 
and it says Oprah's color and it's got a arrow pointing <laughs> down to the color. And I said, you, you just, you say, this is Oprah's color. She used it on her house. She has a house here in Maui. So he's very well aware of where she lives. And you tell him Oprah chose this color and what's good for Oprah is good for him. And sure enough, I'm not even like a day later, they're like, yeah, we want that color. We want Oprah's color, you know? So literally keep the post-it in there for those kinds of clients that just can't be satisfied, you know? Um, and it worked, well, uh, it worked on Mick. I'll, I'll tell you the, the approach that we would actually take with that is if you, if you spray one panel and you hand it to the customer and say, do you like this? Um, you know, is this what you're looking for? They're going to say, no, it's not this. It's not that it's not this enough. But if you give them two panels and you say, which one do you like better? Then it's easier for them to be like, Oh, yeah, that's the one right there. Yeah, we usually give them two choices. Not more than that, but it's like, and, and occasionally they'll say, we want something in between. Yeah, yeah, or, or more of this or more of that. But uh, yeah, it's just like a, a psychological like thing. If you've got two yeah. choices, then it's easier to say, oh, yeah, that one looks awesome. Right. We, we, we did make custom colors for uh, Martha Stewart, and it was for... She she doesn't have greenhouses. She has conservatories. Okay. It was, <laughs> it was East Coast, and it was when I had that custom powder manufacturer. Right. Yeah. And and they just you know they picked the colors out of something, you know her design or whatever. Probably was her for kind of I don't know. She didn't <laughs> talk to us, <laughs> but it was like there were two different colors, and they were matte, and they were kind of gardeny colors like uh like an olive-ish kind of you know whatever and and another one was more brown but it was like and we we nailed it and you know maybe she asked the right question or something um but yeah we did but you never know what people's perceptions are right you know people's perceptions Uh about color are so diverse uh, and they never, let alone the powder formulation that goes behind it. They're not thinking that, right? Uh, well, perf- yeah, I guess that kind of brings it brings it all the way back around to um, understanding expectations and asking for the right, you know, asking the right questions, but asking for the right um, attributes are really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done work with even like really big OEMs, people that the guys that spray like a million pounds a year or whatever, where they're they're wondering, oh, why does the you know why is it hard to get consistent product from our supplier, or why is it hard to change from one supplier to another? And it's because they you need to, the their specification needs to be really specific. You need to say like. Yeah. Okay, it needs this performance under these conditions. It needs to cure this way. Like, there's a, there's a lot of those that go into it. And for if you're asking for a color, there's nothing better than having a physical, actual sample, like to yeah. match it against and, and to compare. Yeah, to compare, and it should be like you know yeah. everybody should have that color panel. Yeah. And yeah. so, and there should be one, like there should be a master standard and then all other standards are made based off of that one. Mm-hmm. 
um, because you get that, you know, measuring the two by four off the last one thing where you, <laughs> where, yeah, where every time that you, you make a change, you're changing it to the last iteration instead of like looking at the master standard. Really? That's important. A, I mean, that's a, yeah. Going on a tangent there, but, um, it's important, but no, it it's, is. it's about understanding what, what you need and being able to communicate it. Cause yeah, if, I don't know. It sounds like, uh, Mick Fleet, Fleetwood could have, you know, pointed out an example of this is what I want it to look like. And then you wouldn't have so many problems with, what with, you mean? with saying, Oh, is this what you wanted? No. Is this what you wanted? Well, then it could be his memory. It's like, well, no, I think it was a little <laughs> right, right. I thought it was a little more sparkle. Maybe Idaho's not quite as sunny as <laughs> the guy wanted. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, who knows? I mean, they're rock stars, right? You know, like, I don't know, you know, they're just used to, having people be at their whim and will anytime they want. Maybe there's some of that too, right? Um, so what is, you know, to kind of wrap things up is that we've talked about a lot of things. And I think that a lot of everything that has been on my list has been covered. But we haven't talked about like, to wrap it up, maybe let's talk about powders and the powder industry like is are there any is there are there any changes in North America that you're seeing in powders whether it's color trends or uh, chemistry trends um it seems like North America is still hanging on to a lot of TGIC obviously because of performance um capabilities anything that come to mind for you guys about things that you're seeing in the industry? I, I just wrote a 3000 word article called emerging technical trends in the powder coating industry. <laughs> That's going to be published in oh, no way. May. And I'll give you, I may hit the topics. And if you want to hear more about them, you know, um, you'll have to ask Nathan, but um, sustainability, which is a broad term, but there's, um, po some polyesters that are being made out of um, recycled um, pop bottles. Okay. Yeah, plastic. That's what I heard. I was going to bring that up, but I'm like, maybe it's too much, too deep. But I'm glad you're bringing it up now. <laughs> okay, so that's one. Low temperature cure. Uh, people have been Everybody saying that. Everybody kind of knows that one. Yeah. Yeah, 1969. I think that was the first time they said <laughs> that. But a new chemistry comes out, a new iteration, a new, you know, way. Um, but there's some new chemistry. New end uses where yes. people are, people are figuring out you, like, we always say, like, traditionally, if it's made out of metal and you can fit it in an oven, they're probably powder coating it because right. it's, it makes sense for, for a lot of reasons. And, um, so when we talk about low temperature cure, next generation, new technology, stuff like that, a lot of times we're talking about coating things other than metal. So whether that's, you know, composites, plastics, um, manufactured boards, um, even natural wood, like there's, that's where we kind of see the, the industry is like, I guess expanding too. Well, that's where, a perfect segue. Yeah, where we're very, um, you know, we can do 
yeah, a metal box, like pretty, you know, we'll make it look really good with powder, but that's where, yeah, a lot of opportunities for like, oh, this is some weird, different new stuff. Speaking of which, ultra low bake powder, uh, mm-hmm. specifically UV curable powder coatings. Um, yeah. It's a small segment, but it is growing by over 50% a year. So it's going from wow. zero, zero to like, <laughs> no, it's, it's growing quickly. Um, and just like Nathan said, it's expanding into not like it was originally designed for MDF for, for particle boardish, you know, whatever engineered boards it, they're doing it with composites. And it's, it's like, it, it's, uh, you know, on the hit list with a bullet or whatever, or, or, uh, I guess they said that in the fifties or sixties. Anyway, UV cure power coatings, um, efforts being put into it. Small company out of Cleveland. They're the, I think they're the world leaders right now. And they're making stuff happen because, because they can. Um, Corrosion resistant primers, the majors have all come out with the next generation or two of better corrosion resistant primers. One of the, one of the key areas is to eliminate zinc. Zinc's a pain in the neck. For different reasons, and this is a good example how regulations are this or that. It's like no zinc-rich powders are a pain in the ass to spray, and some people say, "Well, there's going to be some regulations." Well, get the same performance without the zinc. Everybody's happy, and these the majors in particular are promoting our zinc-free, super duper duper corrosion resistant. They have funny names for them: zero zinc and uni. Prime and Primer on and blah 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 blah. Okay. Okay. I, I haven't heard that one. Yep. Uh, I'll give you. I can give you a copy of this when it publishes. Yeah, um, I'll put pop it in the link in in uh, the podcast here too when you do, um, so that people can reference it after the fact. Yeah, sounds good. There's there's a new copolymer thermoplastic. Nathan talked about thermoplastic. This is an Absite product line from. Exalta coatings, and it's a single coat, doesn't need a primer, and it's got UV resistance, uh, alkali acid resistance. It's a super duper thing that can be put on at 400 microns, which is 12 mils, is it? I don't know. Um, from 12 mils up to like about a half inch thick. Um, there's another thermoplastic that they're touting as a flame spray application. So you can apply powders in the field to infrastructure. So right. go for it. So there's that, there's some <laughs> architectural coatings. There's another one that's fascinating as hell. And I think it's gonna be pretty cool if it works. It's coming out of university, but it's handling ultra fine powder particles. So really fine powder particles that are hard to spray. They've come up with, a technique that they think is going to work. And I'm like, well, I'm always skeptical when it comes to a university, but let's see, maybe it'll work. Came out of uh, uh, Canada, a joint project between Canada and China. Um, but anyway, it looks really interesting. Another one, electric vehicles, the majors have all come out with their recommendations for mainly bus bars and battery yeah. trays and, 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 you know, things like that. 
That's blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the last one I want to tell you about is retroreflective. And this is for, like, you know when you see a sign when you're driving in the dark, you know, and it it pops because it's it's more than just reflective. It it actually has like that safety, you know, reflective thing that you know you see well, it's what, Whatever direction you shine a light on it, it comes directly back to you. I think that's there you right. Go. Yeah, the definition. PPG came up with one, which I think we know how they did it, and it's good. That's off to them. But they partnered with Lyft. You know the the you know the, that's yes. the ride share, but I think this has to do with their scooters. Right. It was yeah, something that be at night or like it was a yes. 2605 that, uh, and I always have a hard time saying that word, but it's Coraflon. Is is that what they, their 2605 try line to say is? That, try to say that if your native language is Chinese. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> yeah, that was not, slide, a, it's not doesn't roll off the tongue for me. I want to say color flan, but they could have said that instead of cor, 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 that's PPG's cor flan. Yeah, that's a that's a floral, yeah. pol floral polymer. Yeah. But this this one is this one is mainly for its retro reflectivity. And so what they special, mean by, okay, so it's that that reflective. Okay, why well, say yeah, retro? I mean, I think that has to do with the returning to you. Yes. It's, okay. Oh, okay. But I, I know that they've looked at that on like bicycle scooters, um, you know, stuff like that, where visibility at nighttime. Well, they put it on running shoes. They put it on backpacks. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, things like that. Right. They put it on the backs of uh, emergency vehicles and yeah, but it's specifically in a powder coating. This is a powder coating. Yeah, that's coating really. That yeah, it, it is really cool because it's been in tapes and you know on. Yeah. In, yeah, it's been in uh, clothing and all that kind of stuff for a while now. But it's nice to know that it's available in powder now. And that was a yeah. really good presentation. I think that was a couple years ago. Uh, he did that presentation, um, which was really interesting. And I love the collaboration that they did. I think Lyft came to them, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, an explore exploration, not just in the coding itself, but also expanding Lyft into the scooter share bike project kind of thing. Yeah. Which was ultra cool anyways. Right. Very progressive. Okay. Um, That's all. Awesome. Oh, those are great. Go ahead. I was going to say there's a, um, I mean, the topic, how to choose a chemistry for your end use requiring requirements. I can put up a cheat sheet. Uh, yeah, do you want to share your screen? I think, I'm not sure how you do it from your side. I think that, that does it. Um, yeah. We covered a lot, you guys. I mean, we didn't talk about China. I always want to talk about China and what they're up to. China. China. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, tell them, tell them that story when you went to China, because you told me that a long time ago. We had a private conversation and, um, you know, the way they think in China when you went about us. Or... <laughs> no? Um, I will save that for the next time we're around. <laughs> it's a long story. Can you see the, 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 the slide that Nathan put up? No. Oh, yes. Let me add it to the stream. 
Here we go. Oh, this is nice. Very colorful. This, this is a cheat sheet, and it's from our um, from our course. We do a, a formulators course. We teach people the basics, so it goes into um, formulas. We call it the PC Kitchen because we make a lot of comparisons between like formulating a high quality product, a, a powder coating or paint, whatever it is, um, is a lot similar to you know to cooking a nice meal where you right. um you you have to think about all the ingredients that go into it but it's also the process um and there's just like a lot of the same considerations but anyway that's the piece of kitchen but this is just a kind of a cheat sheet this isn't 100% like everything set in stone but you can see if you're thinking about, okay, what generic powder chemistry um, should I be thinking about for my application? This gives you a good idea of my, my personally, my, my starting point is the weathering. I think that's the, okay. the thing that's going to absolutely eliminate some chemistries and it's going to you know, require you to look at other ones. So you can see epoxy and hybrid, they're not weatherable. They're just not. That's right. fine. They have their own applications. But if you're going to put it on the wheel of your car, um, <laughs> think again. Yeah. <laughs> um, polyester, polyurethane, those, you know, it's it says it's good or very good. And that's because there's standard durable and there's super durable polyesters and that's you know the difference between one or two years florida resistance versus four or five years florida resistance maybe five to ten um yeah. but yeah everything kind of has its, its pluses and minuses some people say oh i'm gonna do everything with 2605 which you know that would be the fluoropolymer and it's generally um, the chemistry that we use for stuff that needs to get 10 plus years outdoors without chalking and fading. Um, so people say like, why don't, why don't we just use that for everything? Cause it's the best. And it's like, it's the best for UV durability. That doesn't mean it's the best for, you know, whatever other important attributes there are like flexibility right there. Um, not so right. yeah, if you not want so something good. flexible, then you're probably going to, yeah, be leaning toward more towards something that has an epoxy in it or at least a polyester. Um, right. Yeah. And so, then uh, can you speak about acrylics really quick and silicone? I, I don't know. I, that's one, a new one for me. Um, not as familiar with silicone, but maybe we have, we've used it and we just not, I just never knew that we did you would know if you spread a <laughs> silicone I'm does sure it stick to everything no because i'm sure you've heard that acrylics contaminate like if you if you just put an acrylic into your spray booth right now and you just spray it apart the next days or weeks you're going to be chasing craters and everything it's they're incompatible with polyesters oh. and so you either need a dedicated spray booth you need really um you know, rigorous cleaning 
processes, but the incompatibility ends up with with you know big ugly fish fisheye craters and interesting and stuff yeah and that that so, does make sense i yeah I, you know silicone is 10 times worse than acrylic <laughs> oh really wow yeah okay it's used for high heat applications where like exhaust parts like you know for motorcycles you oh okay use, so like cerakote it's Cerakote like that, but stuff. it's a powder. Yeah, it's, it's a powder. Okay. It, yeah, and when people want to do exhaust parts, they might say Cerakote or silicone powder. You know, pluses and minuses. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, silicone's it's um, yeah, they use it for gas grills and uh, the fireplace surrounds and um, exhaust parts for motorcycles, stuff like that, might be made okay. out of silicone, but. Um, yeah, this is handy. You get it anywhere near your polyester, you're just going to have a really bad time. So you still are doing the PC kitchen. Tell us when the next one is, or do you have one in the works? Ooh, we'll have to look it up because we just had one that was scheduled and we ended up, um, I guess, you know, we, we dedicated to it like a, a private course that we gave for, you know, a, a company that, wanted a bunch of people here so and they backed out <laughs> we had oh, no. and, and they said oops we can't make it but you know it, it's like having a restaurant and you say well we're gonna we're, we're having a private event and then the private event says no nah, 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 we're not coming now oh geez this is this so is it, the analogy it is it's <laughs> a yeah no there's a lot of there's a lot of crossover there in that in 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 terms of quality and the ingredients and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, is it only in person this or can you make this course online or is it online? We've been looking at options. The thing is that we've we've done it in person. There was one that we did um you know during the the lockdowns where we did do a a remote version of it but we don't really have it planned to do that right now i don't know it's, we're, it's we're, fi we're figuring it out because a lot of it yeah it's it's difficult to get a group of people to all travel to one place but i think that if we were doing it more um online it, it, it might be an opportunity for more people to join yeah, I mean, uh, I know I would, but at the same time, like it is people do le learn kinetically too, right? You know, so being there in person, having hands on type of thing makes sense. You know, I mean, there's certain things you can and can't do in our industry, right? At the moment, it's just impossible unless we have like some kind of like quantum 3D, you know, uh, you know, where you can virtually be there in the classroom, but not be in the classroom. I don't know. That'll never happen. Uh, holographic. Holographic. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, this has been so enlightening and we barely scratched the surface, I know. Um, you know, uh, AMAA, uh, Qualicote, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's so much to go on and on and on with. So I'd love to have you guys come back. I know you're super busy. And of course you guys do your podcast. So let's just uh, show that right now. It's the Ask Joe Powder Podcast. 
Uh, you guys do it every few weeks or so. It's been mm -hmm. hectic for us. I haven't published anything lately and I've got, it's not that I haven't been interviewing. I've been interviewing people left and right. I just haven't gotten to the <laughs> editing part. So yeah. hopefully by the time this is published, all those other backlogs that have been published and um, so it might take us a little while to get this one going, but I certainly do appreciate your time on a Friday, late Friday for you, still around noon for me, but uh, you guys are just awesome. Again, I know I, I kind of treat you guys as rock stars because you are in my world. Uh, you've, you, you know, Kevin has personally helped us out with our products and our product line and um Nathan's, you know, just been, you know, I get to know you every year at the powder coating week. So every, every year I get to know you a little bit more and stuff. So I'm so thrilled to have you guys come on the show and uh, spend some time with me. Well, we appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah. Always. It really has been. Um, and like you said, there's a million topics. We'll never get to all of them, but yeah, we could, we could do this again sometime. Yeah, we'll do it again. <laughs> yeah. And go and show it, it. I love your show. It's it's not as long as mine. It's uh, pretty just straightforward questions and answers. And then you guys always bring in some news or updates mm -hmm. uh, in the industry. And I find that so informative. Uh, something, I don't know, you, you brought something up about AAMA recently. Um, oh, it was about... Uh, how when you're doing testing, you can actually do like a photograph of the test. You know, you can start with a photograph now or something. Was it something like that? I can't remember. You said something about that. And I found that Ooh, really an accelerated test. It's I think it had to do with um, you could use the, the numbers from your color device and you didn't have to have an actual like 10 year old um, test panel to compare against mm -hmm. if you were doing a a long-term test. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are the kinds of things that you guys get into on the technical side, chemistry yeah. side and testing side that we don't ever hear maybe about, um, you know, so I always encourage people to head on over to your podcast because it is uh, different where we kind of take more of a business approach uh, to powder coating um, and, you know, dabble in applications as well. So again, thanks again for coming on the show. All right, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Really enjoyed time, it. Your time for you, uh, soda for me. <laughs> it's beer 30. I just looked at my watch. It is beer 30. All right. Have a great day, everyone. Uh, hope you have a beautiful day. Powder coating. Aloha.